need to share with you that it's been a little bit of an uncomfortable week for me. I know I came up with a title, but having In Search of a Better Priest listed on your church sign, can't help but think people are going up and down Bathurst Street thinking either it's a job wanted ad, they're trying to get rid of their pastor, or, or they're just playing a cruel joke on them, but either way, it makes me look stupid, and uh, so that's been going through my mind as I've been spending this, this week. I wanted to tell you about a, uh, a lighthouse project. There was a uh, large peninsula that sticks out into the Ta- uh, Tasman Sea in southern Australia, and it was, it was notorious for shipwrecks. And it caused so many problems for so many ships that finally they decided they needed to do something about it. And they commissioned a, an architect by the name of Alexander Dawson to build a lighthouse, to to help stop all of the problems that they were having. In retrospect, he seems to have been a poor choice for the job. He developed a map that had identified the lighthouse and some other important landmarks, but apparently he did so so poorly that it, 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 it just was uh, sloppy and, and not only in the accuracy of... of his location, but the other locations in relationship to it. So the first problem was he just developed a terrible map. Then when he went to build the the lighthouse, obviously the most important thing in a job like that is the location. You need to to have an accurate location that's going to have good uh, sight lines for approaching ships. Alexander Dawson, though, wasn't so big on accuracy. He was more into convenience. And so as he went to build his lighthouse, he actually located it as close as possible to a quarry where he hoped to get the building materials for his job. That way he wouldn't have to travel so far. Wouldn't have to get so close to the coast. And he figured that would make for a far simpler project. Like any project like this, uh, it's never a one-person show. And so he had a board of people that were charged to give oversight to him in the project. As they evaluated both his map and the location of his lighthouse, they came to the conclusion there were some real concerns. They could see that he had been sloppy in his work. They could see that this probably wasn't the best location for that lighthouse. But those concerns weren't strong enough for them to actually act on them. Concerns weren't strong enough for them to stop him and redirect him. And so he was given uh, full green light to move ahead with the construction and uh, issued his his map and and, uh, uh, built his lighthouse. They say that over the next 40 years, that lighthouse was actually responsible for more than two dozen shipwrecks. A lighthouse that was designed to save lives ended up costing lives. And for me, it's a reminder that uh, you can set out to do something really good. You can have something that, that looks like a lighthouse, that's called a lighthouse, but actually costs more lives than it saves. Unfortunately, the same can be said of religious leaders. You can have someone who is 
called a religious leader, who maybe looks like a religious leader, and you can go to them expecting help and actually find yourself farther from God than when you started. Today's passage really speaks to that whole issue. Um, when we talk about in search of a, of a better priest, we're talking about the, uh, the deep, grave concern that God has for people who would represent him, claim to represent him, but do so poor a job in doing so that they actually misrepresent him and lead others into, uh, into a farther uh, and a bigger mess than when they started. And today's passage shows that outreach. It, it also, it, just very practically, it, it teaches you how to uh, discern and evaluate my ministry. It teaches you how to discern and, and evaluate the next church that God may lead you to. But at the same time, it also helps you to see what your place is in God's plan to bring life and blessing to this world. Uh, we are in a series called, uh, where, where we, are, we are seeking to bring God our best, the God who's worthy of our best, and we're in the book of Malachi. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn there with me. I'm going to read from Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Malachi 2, verses 1 to 9. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand says the Lord, the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This is the word of God. Now, the first thing that this passage teaches me is just God's, God is as outraged as you are with bad priests. If you have been misled or mistreated at the hands of people who claim to represent God, you need to know from this passage that God feels as, as much outrage as you feel. He feels uh, the same level of, uh, of, of concern and deep disgust. Only the promise of this word is that he will bring them to account. 
he will call them to perfect justice. God is as outraged at bad priests as you are. Now, in verse 1, God confronts some people who are used to confronting others. They were used to giving out commands to other people, and he says, now, this command is for you this time. In verse 2, he takes them to task for failing to listen to him. They had probably been doing many priestly duties. They had likely been very busy in their priestly tasks. But in their busyness, they had failed to do the one thing that was most important to God. They'd failed to listen to him. They had failed to hear him, to hear his voice. As a result, he accuses them in verse 8 of causing many to stumble by their instruction. They were supposed to listen to the word of God. They were supposed to obey the word of God. They were supposed to teach the word of God. But in neglecting that one thing that God said was central, the things that were coming out of their mouth began to drift. They just, they just got a little far removed from that word that God had given them. And in so doing, the people that came to, came to them seeking to learn what God wanted, seeking to learn what God's word was, found themselves more confused, more separated from what, what God was seeking to do in their lives, and they stumbled as a result. In verse 9, he accuses them of showing partiality in their, in their instruction. What they would do is they would kind of bend their words depending on who they were talking to. They would preach sermons that would really please the big donors in their church. They knew how to, how to get on the right side of the power brokers. But it says that there was partiality. They treated those people as big, but in so doing, they treated God as small, and that was a big deal to God. It, it showed how little regard that they had for him. And in portraying God as this little assumed character that they could put in a corner and then move on to deal with powerful people, they completely misrepresented the God that they claimed to serve. And that was really the second charge that God makes to them. In verse 2, it says that they had not only failed to listen, but they had also failed to give honor to God's name. Tiptoed around powerful people, but treated God like a lightweight, and he wasn't amused. Probably the most extreme case, you've probably, you probably have seen this, you have probably experienced some, something of this, you've heard of this. That For me, the most extreme case that I've heard of is in a, uh, a church just a few minutes from my home. Uh, there, the, the, the church uh, was progressing along, and the minister at one point made public what was, had been clear that it had been implied for some time, but she just came out and said it. She told the congregation that she was an atheist. You would think that uh, a minister announcing that to uh, the congregation, that there would be a little bit of uh, surprise, a little bit of concern. Uh, there were some in the congregation that, that uh, seemed to think that was, that was cool and uh, progressive maybe, and uh, yet there were others in the congregation that said, well, this is supposed to be a Christian church, so if our minister is an atheist, that 
Some, surely there's something wrong with that. And they complained. And what would happen was that uh, the minister was brought before a, a church council. Uh, the denominational board uh, sat her down and interviewed her. And they came to the conclusion in 2016 that uh, she was unfit for ordained ministry, be, uh, unfit for uh, ordained ministry because, quote, she does not believe in God, Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit. Now, at that point, you would think that would be enough, right? Surely she'll be re- re- um, removed from ministry now. But it wasn't enough. They said, well, we've come to this tentative conclusion, but we really need to discuss it some more. So they spent another two years deliberating over this. At the end of two years, uh, they came to the conclusion that her leadership should be supported after all. That she should be given a green light and given uh, their full support. And they claimed that it was a great victory for inclusiveness. The minister um, was interviewed by newspapers because, strangely enough, even non-Christians think this is weird, okay? So the newspapers are hearing this news, they're hearing about it, and so they want to interview her. Like, and, and one of the interviewers, I, I assume a, a, a non-Christian, but he said, isn't being an atheist minister an oxymoron? Like, this is a little strange. And she replied, uh, this is really important, For well over a hundred years, we've questioned the authority of the Bible and recognized it was written by humans. When you do that, everything is up for grabs, including the idea of a supernatural God. I haven't heard many of, I haven't heard this woman's sermons, and I, I probably wouldn't agree with many things she said. This statement, I think, is completely true. When you question the authority of the word of God, then everything is up for grabs, including the idea of God. I agree with the statement, but it shows why God is so outraged when people who claim to represent God take his word and fail to listen and fail to give it the attention that it deserves. God God gets righteously angry about these things because he knows that it will lead people into error. It will cause people to stumble. It will lead people to destruction. Compare the celebration of inclusiveness of an atheist minister to God's response in verse 2. In verse 2 he says, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you. In verse 3, he actually threatens to take dung from the sacrificial animals and smear it on their faces. And it was this shocking picture because everything about the, the priests was to symbolize holiness. The high priest would have a turban with, with a, a, a plate on it that said, holy to the Lord. The priests would be dressed in these pristine linen garments. And it was to communicate purity, holiness, set apart. And so he threatens to take the filthiest thing that that they can think of and smear it on them as if to say they are not holy and they will be disqualified for their service. 
God feels awfully strongly about these things. Then in verse 2, he says, I will curse your blessings. People in Malachi's day, like many people today, would go to these people who claim to represent God, and they would go seeking a blessing. They would, they would seek God, to experience God's care, God's presence, something of God's peace. And God says, I will curse their blessings. So when people go to them to experience God's care, they will only experience neglect. When they went experience, seeking to experience God's presence, they would feel his absence. Going to seek God's peace, they would find only conflict. I believe that God does the same thing today. I believe that he takes the blessings of those who would claim to represent God, but do so either so negligently or so falsely that he actually turns their blessings into curses. And the fear I have is that too many people lack the discernment to be able to figure out the difference. Because today we choose a church based on whether we like the worship or not whether it's the right style or not. We choose churches based on whether we like the pastor's jeans or the, or the pastor's tie, depending on what your, your flavor is. We, we choose churches because it's, it's the closest one or it's the most convenient one or it's the one there my friends go to. And in so doing, we miss what the Bible says is the most important criteria. Does the leadership hear the word of God as the word of God and respond to that word of God in obedience and fear? And does the leadership honor God as God? Lift him up and lift up his glory because he is a glorious God and he doesn't like to be treated as someone who is inconsequential and powerless. That's the standard that God holds up for leaders. And that's the standard that I expect you to hold me to. It's a standard that I would encourage you to bring as you, if, if God were to lead you to another church, I pray that God would give you that standard, his standard, as you were to evaluate one. So God is as outraged at bad priests as you are. But God brings blessing through priests who honor him. What he does here, instead of just rooting out the bad and, and bringing down those who would, who would disregard him, he lifts up his purposes for faithful ones. God brings blessing through priests who honor him. Now what he does here is to explain his purpose for the priesthood is he goes back to a man named Levi. Abraham had 12 sons. They became 12 tribes, and one of those tribes was set apart to specially represent God, to, to be his represent, representation, his mediator here on earth. In verse 4, God refers to the covenant with Levi, and in verse 5, he describes it. He says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. That word life, you hear that, in particularly in the Old Testament, and you are to think of that place of life in the garden, 
It's a picture of the Garden of Eden and the fullness of life, the abundance of life that they enjoyed there. You hear the word peace, and it is that shalom fullness that could be enjoyed with God. It's life the way God intended it to be. It's life in all of its fullness. God's plan was to spread that life and that life and that peace through a holy group of mediators, people who would stand and represent God. Verse 6 shows the original priesthood functioning as it was intended. It says, He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. See, God sought to raise up righteous priests who would enjoy the fullness of his life and peace and then impart it to others. But the only way to impart it to others came as they gloried in God as God is, and they communicated what God wanted to say. They shared the word of God with those who would come. The second half of verse 5 describes Levi's response to the life and peace he enjoyed with God. It says, it was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. See, God's looking for people with a deep reverence for him. People who feel a, a sense of wonder at God's greatness. People who glory in God because God is glorious. And if his representatives don't glory in how great he is, then they haven't really seen him as he truly is. God isn't just to be dissected and treated clinically. He's a God of glory. And so his representatives lift him up. They lift up his glory and they they see his glory. And God brings blessing through priests who would honor him in this way. Now, probably the main way that people can show that they honor God is in their response to his word. And so in verse 6, there's a picture of this. It says, True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. Or in verse 7, it says, For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. I think the language here is really important. When it talks about guarding knowledge, the idea seems to be that God has communicated something very precious, very powerful, very important. He he has given a deposit of truth, and that truth needs to be defended, needs to be protected. The implication seems to be that there will be winds of of change. There will be different ideas and philosophies that, that are presented to compete with it. And so God is looking to his representatives to be people who will stand for it and protect it and defend it and guard it. It also refers to to this idea of being a messenger. He says, he calls the priest the messenger of the Lord of hosts. A messenger is, it's not the word that we normally use for a speaker, right? Right? A speaker is different than a messenger. A speaker might have have any number of of good things to say, of interesting things to say, but a messenger, you expect them to deliver a message from someone else, right? In this case, the Lord of hosts. You're not really looking so much for their opinions as to faithfully deliver a message 
from another. I, I, I'm not sure what you do when you go and check the mail. Like, if, if you get a, like, if I get a, uh, some, some mail that arrives from my mother, I'm not really expecting that the postal carrier has opened up the envelope and taken out a couple pages and written me some little paragraphs of his own. Like, he might do that, but I'd be a little disappointed. That's not a messenger's job. I'm kind of looking to see what my mother wrote to me if, if the letter comes from my mother. And it's the same with the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Someone who claims to represent him is to faithfully deliver what he has said, to explain what he has said, and to bring what he has said to bear on our lives. And yet there are countless churches where people will stand up and share some nice, interesting thoughts and stories with maybe a verse or two peppered in to make it sound official, and everybody nods and says, wow, that was a good one this morning. He really, that was really interesting. He really gave us some things to think about. Guard knowledge. Messenger of the truth. Speak for the Lord of hosts. Those are the kinds of qualities that God is looking for. Faithful priests guard the word of the God they represent. So we've said that God is as outraged at bad priests as you are, and God brings blessing through priests who honor him. But you could come to the end of this passage and frankly feel discouraged. It could feel a little bit depressing because as you come to the, the end of the passage, it feels as if the priesthood, at least in Malachi's day, has failed. They haven't gotten the job done. They haven't honored God. They haven't guarded his word. And people have stumbled and gone astray as a result. They have ended up farther from God or in some cases inoculated against the truth. The situation seemed helpless. And that's why God had to intervene. That's why God had to do what they had failed to do. And we learn that Jesus came as that high priest. A high priest who would create an entire nation of priests. God started over with a new priest and a new sacrifice. And it's through him that those blessings of life and peace can be ours. He accomplished what the priesthood couldn't accomplish. He picked up where they failed. Jesus is the high priest who's creating a nation of holy priests. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. See, Jesus succeeded where the priesthood failed. He honored the Father with his life. He came as the messenger of the Lord. When people heard his, heard his teaching, they said, he spoke as one who had authority. He, he spoke the words of God. In Malachi's day, if you lived under a rejected priesthood, a, a priesthood whose blessings had actually been cursed by God, you would feel the impact of that. You would be living under the shadow of their sin. You would be living under the curse that they had purchased for you. But Jesus came. 
He came as that pure and faithful, that great high priest, and it is in his name that we can receive blessing. It is through faith in him that we can enjoy life and peace as God purposed it. And he's the only one who stands between us and the Father now. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. That's one of the reasons why the New Testament ever refers to its leaders as priests. You go through and you, you, you never see, like Paul's never referred to as a priest, Peter's never referred to as a priest. None of the New Testament leaders are referred to as priests because the priesthood, those, that, that class of people standing between God and humanity came to an end. It was declared a failure. And God himself came. Jesus came as the Son of God and in standing, in out, standing in the gap between a, a righteous father and a rebellious humanity, he became the only mediator, the only one who mediates the, the, the blessings of God. Now, he is our high priest because he made a once-for-all sacrifice of his life on our behalf. And through faith in him, we can now enjoy his life, and his blessings. So I'm not your priest, but Jesus is. But in another sense, all of us who call on the name of Jesus Christ, all of us who have put our faith and trust in him are called to a priesthood. All of us are a a part of this work that we stand under Jesus. First Peter 2.5 puts it like this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So now there's no longer a special class of priests, just Jesus is high priest and all believers who call on his name, who put their trust in him, all believers are now called as priests. All of us are called to holiness. All of us are called to service. All of us are called to offer our lives in sacrifice to him to bring, to bring glory to him. 1 Peter 2.9 puts it like this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You read that, and now you go back to Malachi. And those things that we saw about God's design for a faithful priest, now those are God's commission to us, to all of us who call on his name. All of us are called to fear God and to stand in awe of his name. All of us are called to guard knowledge and to to be messengers of the Lord of hosts. All of us are called to a life of faithfulness and service. And so as you look at your life, it is with the recognition that God has called you to be a priest to your family. God has called you to be a priest to your friends and neighbors. God has called you to be a priest to your co-workers. God has called you 
to mediate the blessings of a good and righteous God as he seeks to bring life and peace to a dying world. And we do that only under our great high priest, Jesus, who offered that perfect sacrifice. So these words commission us. These words call us to something, call us to a a, a task, a role, an identity, and one that we take up. But if God is seeking to communicate and to pass on his blessings of life and peace through you now, through all of us who call on Jesus Christ, then it's important that we speak the words of God. It's important that we be found to be faithful messengers, that we represent him well. In 1879, the USS Jeanette set out on what was an ambitious journey. It was a polar expedition. The journey was to... uh, to find their way from the Pacific Ocean through the Bering Strait into the Polar Sea. Finding a way to the Polar Sea. Now, you hear the word Polar Sea and you're thinking, I I didn't hear about that one in geography class. You didn't hear about it, but at the time, it was widely accepted. Nobody had actually gotten there yet, but everybody believed that such a place existed. In fact, uh, as uh, the USS Jeanette set set out on this journey, uh, captain by the name of George DeLong, along with 33 sailors, they had maps in their hands, and it clearly showed the, the, uh, uh, the Arctic Sea, and so they headed forward to it with confidence. Unfortunately, the Polar Sea didn't exist. Unfortunately, the map that they were relying on and and hoping in wasn't very accurate. And unfortunately, that ship that set out found themselves stranded in ice and uh, Arctic temperatures for some two years before it was finally crushed and sunk. Faulty maps cost lives. The, the, the writer James Smith reflect, reflected on their voyage in these, in these words. He said, it's not until we're shipwrecked that we realize we trusted faulty maps. When you set out, as long as you've got a map, you're feeling pretty confident. As long as, when you're on your journey and you're making headway, things can be pretty tough. But if you've got someone telling you that this is the way, you're feeling pretty good about it. It's only after you shipwreck. It's only after you've lost everything that you realize whether the map that you had trusted in was worthy or not, whether it was accurate or not. And unfortunately, we live in a world that's more concerned with the color of the map than with its accuracy. We're, we're, that just is true. We're, we are, we're consumed with the, the feel of it and the look of it, not so much with the substance of it. At least that seems to be the attitude that we bring to, to faith and the things of God. And God says the substance of it 
surely matters. My word surely matters. I'm to be treated with weight because I'm a God of glory and I'm your only hope. And his word is to be treated with weight because it is a word of life. It's a word of salvation. But when it is mishandled and misused, it can also become a word of damnation. It can become a word of stumbling. Now, you may be the only priest your coworkers ever know. So be a faithful priest. Be a holy priest. Take opportunities to represent God well. You may be the only priest your friends and neighbors ever know. So show your friends and neighbors a life lived in honor of God. And be the messenger of God that he wants you to be. If you have children, be the priest that God has called you to be to them. Your children need to hear more than your opinions and experiences. They do. That's not good enough for a priest. A priest needs to speak the words of God. And your children, if you have them, need to hear you speak God's words to them. They need to hear you read God's words to them. They need to see someone who glories in God, who thinks that God is big, that God is weighty and important. See God lifted up in your life. And the, 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 the big people in this world and the big circumstances and the big challenges, let them see that in light of his glory and his greatness, those aren't so big after all. That, that's what our children need to see. That's what our neighbors and our coworkers need to see. And that's what God is looking to see as he is looking for those who would faithfully represent him. Be the priest that God wants you to be. And as you do, don't give anyone the impression that you're the high priest. Always have the people around you recognize that you are one who ultimately trusts in another. You rely on the sacrifice of one who, who gave his life in purity, in holiness. Help them to know that you live under the light of a pure and righteous high priest, Jesus our Savior. So they will put their trust in him and not just look to you. Let's look to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who has suffered at the hand of a bad priest. I pray that you would show them your comfort and grace. Pray that you would minister your healing. Where there is confusion, I pray that you would provide clarity. Where there has been stumbling, I pray that you would lift up. Assure them, Father, that you're as outraged as they are and that you will bring perfect justice. Heavenly Father, give us discernment in how we relate to people who speak for you. Help us to care about truth. Help us to care about your word. And help us to care about your glory. 
And Father, help us to be the priests that you've called us to be. Help us to walk in holiness. Help us to be your messengers. And help us to stand in awe of your name. For you alone are worthy. We praise you in Jesus' name.